Hey guys, uh, welcome to RUF, Reformed University Fellowship. Uh, my name is Chris Horn, I'm the campus minister. Scoot up. It's hitting my head. Oh, but see when I'm up here I can't... Is this, a, is this better? They're going to turn it up. Is it really bad? Okay, alright. Anyway, uh, welcome to RUF. Uh, my name is Chris, I have light on my head. Um... Uh, I am the campus minister here. That means it's my job to be your pastor. I would love to get to know you. So if that's something you want to do, uh, just hit me up. I would love to, uh, to meet you, get to know you a little bit. Um, RUF is a place, no matter if you're a Christian or not, whatever your religious or non-religious background, you're welcome here. You can process this stuff. You can totally disagree and be angry when you leave. Uh, but just talk to me about it so we can kind of talk it out together. Um, before we get going tonight, a friend of mine, Stéphane Jean Renaud, is here. Uh, Stéphane is the uh, admissions uh, director of admissions and alumni relations. Is that right? At Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. Uh, that's where I went to seminary. It's where Matt Howell, that you remember long ago in your long-term memory, um, almost forgotten now, but. Uh, <laughs> Matt also went there, uh, so Stefan's here, he hosted a wonderful dinner for us, thank you Stefan, um, but he would love to talk to you if you want to extend your education, uh, if you want to be a missionary, a pastor, do ministry, or you just want to learn more about the Bible and theology, uh, I would strongly recommend RTS, and he has a little table outside so you guys can talk uh, to him. And there's a great discount too at RTS if you are an RUF student, so I believe it's half off. So uh, it's a great option, and it won't put you into too much debt. Um, tonight we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7, so if you have your Bible turned there. Um, speaking of debt, uh, there's a, you know, if you turn on the news these days, there's a lot of talk about debt. There's a lot of talk about the national debt, about credit card debt, student loan debt. Uh, some of you might be familiar with that. Some of you might be accruing debt even right now as we speak. Just a good reminder that you're paying to be here right now. Um, and the, thing, the problem with debt is that, uh, you know, once you get a certain amount of debt, you begin to feel hopeless as you look at the number and you start to worry, like, can I ever pay this off? Uh, it begins to be daunting. It's crippling. Um, and if the Bible is very clear with us that we owe a debt to God. Uh, that's not maybe how you, like, you want to start off when you've got like, a group of students that are all eager to listen. Is like, we owe God a debt, and it's massive, and you can never pay it off. Uh, let's pray and go home with this ministry of encouragement. Uh, but the Bible is clear that because of this phenomenon called sin, we have a debt before God. In order to have a right relationship with God, the God of the universe, our debt has to be paid. Um, we could never pay it all back. And in our passage tonight, Jesus is talking about debt. And he's asking questions about debt. So look with me, if you will, uh, in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. Listen, this is the word of God. One of the Pharisees asked him, this is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table and behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. 
Now, when the Pharisee saw this, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay it, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no feet for my water. Uh, No, no. I'm not really quite sure why that was so funny. Uh, it was a pun. It was a terrible pun. Uh, excuse me. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many... Are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, The woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'm so encouraged that you guys were listening, and then you knew that I said something wrong. Uh, let's uh, let's pray. This is God's word. Let's pray. And ask His blessing. Uh, Father, we give you thanks uh, for your word, because it's true, even if we say it poorly. Um, Lord, you can do what you want with it, so would you work through your word now um, to show us Jesus, that we might be drawn to him, and we pray in his name, amen. So if you've been here this semester, you know we're looking at a series called Questions God Asks, and we're looking at times in the scripture where God asks people questions, which is weird, right, because God knows everything, why does he need to ask questions? And what we've seen is that God asks questions almost so that we can hear ourselves answering them, so that we learn something about who we are and who he is. And in this passage tonight, Jesus asks two questions, so it's a two for one. Uh, And there's a question and response. So basically, we're going to break this passage down. We're going to look at Jesus' two questions, and then we'll look at the question at the end that the people ask. Uh, By the way, this is one of my favorite, absolute favorite passages of Scripture, A big part of the reason why is because when I was a student in RUF, I heard two guys, a guy named John Stone and a guy named Brian Habig, preach on this passage, and it had a humongous impact uh, on me. So most of what I'm going to say is completely stolen from them. But it's okay because I said that it's stolen. That means it's not stealing. It's appropriating. Uh, It's creative. Um, So the first question we're going to be looking at is when Jesus says, which of them will love him more? Uh, Jesus has been invited into this Pharisee's house. If you've ever grown up in church or read the Bible, you know that the Pharisees are the bad guys. Um, But the people living during this time would never have thought that the Pharisees were the bad guys. The Pharisees were the good guys. They were like the original back to the Bible movement. They were consistent with what they believed, right? And they they were good guys. They were the righteous guys. And everyone liked them. Everyone looked up to them, actually. And they were, they were the most respected and respectable people in Jewish culture, which is really interesting because Jesus has 
the harshest words for the Pharisees. So he's invited into this man's house, this Pharisee, this well-respected man. And this woman comes in. And it says that she's a sinner, a woman of the city. And what that most likely means is that she is a prostitute. So this harlot, this prostitute, walks into this man's house. It would have been all men eating at this table, relaxing together. And she comes in, and she starts to do this really weird stuff to Jesus, right? She's crying, and she's crying so much that she can clean his feet. I don't know if you've ever cried that much. It's like, it's just like raining tears on his feet. And she wipes it with her hair, right? And she puts this ointment on his feet. And so this guy, Simon, who's hosting him, is sitting there, and he thinks to himself... Man, if this guy was a prophet, he would be, you know, so offended by this. And the most terrifying thing that you could ever imagine happens, which is Jesus answers his thought. Um, You know, because if there's one thing you have that they can't get, right, it's what you're actually thinking about them. Uh, But Jesus breaks through. He answers this guy's thought. Um, Talk about being uncomfortable. And Jesus, because he's a great teacher, he tells a story. Uh, For dense people... They don't get things. We need people to tell us simple stories. So Jesus tells them this story. Two people owe this banker money. One owes them like two months wages, and the other owes them like 20 months wages. So if he canceled both debts, which person do you think would be more grateful? And, uh, you know, it doesn't take a math major to figure out that if you owed someone two years worth of wages, you would be more grateful. Um, But an interesting takeaway from what Jesus says is this. Forgiveness always costs something. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. You know, we talk a lot about forgiving and forgetting. I want to forgive my uh, roommate for what they've done or whatever. But when it comes to anything significant, it always costs you something to forgive someone. Um, A pastor named Tim Keller puts it really uh, well, and he puts it in terms of a lamp. He said, if I break your lamp, you can forgive me, and that, and that would involve me paying back you back for your lamp, right? I could buy you another lamp, and all would be forgiven, right? I would pay for the lamp. But you can just choose to forgive me with no strings attached, but that doesn't bring your lamp back. You still have to buy another lamp. Uh, forgiveness always costs something. Uh, or you can think about it like this. Let's say your boyfriend cheats on you. Okay, let's hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, hopefully, but they might. Uh, and let's say your boyfriend cheats on you, and, uh, and it's not your fault. It's not your fault. So you can, choose to, for, you can choose to make your boyfriend pay for it, right? You can cuss him out and uh, put all those things on the, on the corner to the left, to the left. Um, and you can break up with him, right? And he would have paid for that transgression. Or you can choose to forgive him and stay with him. But you can kind of understand that you're paying, right? Like, in order to stay in, you have to pay something to stay in that relationship and just choose to forgive him. Do you see how that works? Forgiveness always costs something. You know, they say freedom isn't free. That's true. But forgiveness isn't free. And since forgiveness always costs something... The greater the transgression, the greater the cost, right? And the greater the cost that's paid, the greater the forgiveness, the more you will love that person, right? The more appreciative you will be for that forgiveness. Um, the best literary or like film example of this, like bar none, 
is Jean Valjean, right? And Les Miserables. Um, by the way, it's a musical, but it's still good. So guys, it's still good. It's amazing. Thank you. It's very good. Um, he just said that like so matter of fact. He's like, it's amazing. It's really good. Um, so Jean Valjean, right? And you remember the story, maybe if you've seen it. Uh, he's, everyone's murmuring. Uh, <laughs> You know, he's, he's in, he's in this, this work camp for something that, that was very small. He stole some bread. And he gets out, but he's marked as a criminal, right? And he can't do anything. He can't get a job. Everyone, like, spits on him. Meanwhile, he has this beautiful voice. I'm like, why could this guy could be a singer? Um, and uh, so what, what happens? He finds he, this priest takes him in, right? This kindly priest, right? He brings him in. He feeds him this meal. He's eating it like an animal, and uh, he brings them in, and, you know, it's really funny because then the nuns that are in there are, like, looking so, you know, like, why did we bring this guy in? Uh, and he treats him well, and he puts him up in a bed, and during the night, Jean Valjean, knowing that he doesn't have a future, right, he steals all the silver, right, the, the, the plates and the cups and the silverware and everything, this really, really priceless, expensive, no doubt antique uh, silverware. And he gets caught. He runs away and he gets caught. You remember that the, the police bring him back, right? And, he said, and they say, you know, this guy stole all your stuff. And he had the audacity to say that you gave it to him. And what did the priest do? You remember? He said, you forgot the candlesticks. They're the best part of the set. My brother, how did you forget the candlesticks? Go in peace. I gave this man these things. What effect did that have on Jean Valjean's life? It changed everything, Right? Like, he suddenly went from being this, like, scroungy, defensive guy to caring for the poor. Like, that act of forgiveness changed his life and gave him love. The greater, the forgiveness always costs something, and the greater the forgiveness, the greater the love. And that's Jesus' point. And he plays it out with this woman and this Pharisee. So uh, he said, you know, which of them will love him more? The second question he asks is, do you see this woman? So he, he applies it to him. He says, do you see this woman? And Simon, he had been judging this woman in his mind, right? Like, what is she doing here? Uh, if this man really knew, if he was the prophet that I thought he was, he would have rejected this woman. He would have been scandalized by this woman. Uh, but before we go off, you know, being so judgy-judgy about Simon, like, boo, Pharisee, this guy doesn't get it, we get it. Um, <laughs> this woman, I was trying, I just asked someone before, like, would you all get a She's All That reference? No? Yes? yes? Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, okay, so like in She's All That, if you've ever seen it, she's supposed to be like this really like mangy, you know. Who's the actress? I don't remember. What was it? Rachel Lee Cook? I don't even know that name. All right. So she's supposed to be, this is like 2000. This is way, you guys were like super young. Okay. Anyway, so she's supposed to be this like really homely, right? But she's actually beautiful. Like, you can tell that she's attractive from the beginning. Um, it's like Cinderella. You know, she's like mopping the floors and you're like, oh, she's so, she's supposed to be so gross. But like, she's actually like really beautiful, you know. Like, all she needed was a dress. And like, once you take off the glasses, you're like, oh, wow, I never could tell. Um, and that's, when I think about this story, that's how I'm thinking about this woman. Like, she's actually probably like pretty attractive and young. And so she comes in and she's got this blue dress. It's always a blue dress. And she does this thing that's very, it's very touching. It's like right out of a, you know, like a fresco or like a children's storybook uh, Bible. But have you ever seen a real prostitute? Um, uh, <laughs> when... <laughs> 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 
By seen, I mean seen one, not visited one. Uh, um, when, when my wife, Sarah Jane, and I, we lived in Philadelphia for a year. Um, we moved to Philadelphia, and we lived there for a year. And Sarah Jane worked at this really cool, like, design place. But it was, like, in this, like, really sketch neighborhood. So uh, one day I went to pick her up. She usually, like, walked really far to the train. I was a great husband. And, uh, and, but one day I went to pick her up, because it was late, and it was dark, and it was cold. And uh, as she's, like, getting in the, the car... This lady, like, approaches me to my window. The window's down. And um, uh, she uh, was a prostitute, and uh, she had no teeth. And uh, she did not smell good. Uh, I could tell from inside the car. Like, I shook her hand and, like, just forgive me. Like, I used hand sanitizer afterward. Um, She was really, really gnarly. And, like, she was really like, hey, baby. You know, like, there was nothing lovely about this woman. And I'm not trying to make fun of her. Like, she wasn't lovely at all. Like, she wasn't enticing. And, like, when my wife got in, she was like, oh, you already got somebody. You know, and she got really, she used a lot of curse words, too. Um, So that's most likely closer to the situation that Jesus and Simon and these people find themselves in. Uh, It's very likely that this woman was not this, like, lovely, and all you had to do was, like, take off the glasses, and she was going to be actually, you know, really attractive. Um, uh, the immediate reaction of everybody in the room would have probably been to be repulsed, in a sense. And that's you know, kind of shows what this lifestyle can really do uh, to a person. And she's touching this guy, you know. Um, but it gets worse, right? Uh, Jesus, actually, when this happens, he turns the tables back on Simon, right? He says, you know, I, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Uh, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them uh, with her hair. Okay, more background. Uh, if you lived in first century Palestine, they didn't wear shoes. Okay, they had the sandals, the Air Moses. And, uh, and people also, in addition to not having shoes, well, actually, it's like pretty close to the shoes that we wear in Boone. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> very open, you know. Um, but what Boone has that they didn't have in most places is plumbing, like indoor plumbing. Uh, so most people would have thrown their refuse out into the street. Into the ditch, and everyone's walking. You know, so this is like human waste. This is like animal waste. It's like old lettuce, you know, and cheese. Um, And it's all in the road, and it just gets to be this dust, like ground down, right? And it's all over your feet. So, what someone would do when someone came into their house and they were a guest, they would offer them a basin of water to wash their feet because their feet are gross, you know, Um, they're funky. Uh, and they need, to, they need to have their feet uh, washed. But he doesn't uh, do this. this. This woman, she comes and she wets his feet like she's really close to his feet. And she's wiping this nastiness off with her hair. Um, then she kisses his feet. Okay, you know, you do the math. Just imagine. Simon didn't even give him a kiss on the cheek, which would have been like, you know, the, the firm handshake. Of the day, you know, he says, you didn't give me oil for my head. You know, it was so dusty that sometimes they would put this like olive oil on their head. It was like kind of like a hot towel on the plane, you know, to kind of freshen up. He didn't even give him any oil for his head. But this woman came and she broke this flask. Alabaster is this soft stone. She broke this flask and she poured out her perfume, probably her most expensive possession. She poured it out on his feet. Uh, Simon didn't esteem Jesus high enough to give him just the most basic courtesy. 
the most religious person in the house, the most devout person in the house, ignored Jesus and treated him like less than a common guest. Um, but this woman, she comes into Jesus, she comes into to the room, and she comes to Jesus, and she worships him. If your boyfriend or girlfriend is doing this kind of thing to you, they're worshiping you, and it's weird, and let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> But the foot washing, uh, you know, is, is, is no small deal, right? Um, because just besides the fact that, you know, it's gross, uh, she was breaking pretty much every social custom that there was. Uh, not only just coming into this person's house with these men, which she could have gotten in trouble for, um, you know, during this cultural moment, women were on the fringe of society. Uh, you know, there's still a, lot, a long way to go today, but it was way, 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 way worse uh, they were they were less than men, um, uh, and not only that, but they were generally covered up. They had to cover themselves up, cover their their head, often cover their face. And so the fact that she comes in, she lets her hair down is bad enough. But the fact that she touches a man, she could have been killed, like on the spot, and no one would have asked. She could have been stoned on the spot, but she does it anyway. Um, so if you're ever tempted to think this is like a sidebar comment. Uh, if you're ever tempted to think that Jesus was a misogynist or that he oppressed a woman, Jesus celebrated this woman when everything in the culture said, put her away, she doesn't belong here. He welcomed this woman and he blessed this woman. He honored her. So the most outwardly religious people cared very little for Jesus. They showed him no hospitality, but this woman did. And the question is why? What did this woman see in Jesus that no one else saw? Why was she able to overcome such, uh, just everything in her way to come and worship this? Why did she have such a different reaction? And that brings us to the last question uh, in verse 49. Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus gives the reason explicitly why this woman did this in verse 47. Look there, he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, he's not saying that her sins are forgiven because she loved much. He's saying that since her sins are forgiven, therefore she loved. That's why she's loving me. That's why she's breaking through all these barriers, because her sins have been forgiven and she loves me. She understood that she had a debt before God. That she owed God something. Uh, She understood that most basic thing about the gospel, which is like, I'm not one of the good guys. I'm screwed up. Uh, She knew that she was a mess and that she needed Jesus. Uh, She was focused on Jesus. She knew when Jesus said this parable, Jesus is the moneylender. And he had forgiven her. And that made her love him. Um, And if that's you, if you come tonight and uh, you feel like you are distant from God, you feel like there is something that it needs to be paid, that if you're buying what I'm selling, that there's a debt between human beings and God, and you're like, I don't know anything about that debt. I don't know how it's paid. If that's you, I'm so, I couldn't be more thrilled that you're here. I would love to know you. You're welcome here. You can take all the time you need. Um, but if that's you, please, that's the Holy Spirit uh, working. Don't ignore it. Uh, don't ignore the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore him. Don't uh, dull it away with entertainment or whatever. Um, ask Jesus to cleanse you. 
The Bible says that anyone that comes to Jesus, he won't cast away. So if that's you, come to Jesus and he will pay that debt. And he will tell you, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Uh, He will do it. Uh, This woman got it. She knew who she was and who Jesus was. But what about Simon? Uh, Simon didn't understand who Jesus was clearly. He didn't understand himself. Because the interesting thing is when he says, if this guy was a prophet, he would know. But he doesn't know, like, this guy isn't just a prophet. This guy's God. He's holy. Like, he's pure. He's allowing this, like, really, let's just, this vile woman to touch all over him. And then he's saying that that's good. Um, and the problem is that Simon thinks about sin uh, the way that a lot of us think about sin. Uh, again, my wife, she went to the Savannah College of Art and Design, and she uh, grew up a pastor's kid and didn't commit any of the heinous big sins, right? Probably, not so much, um, <laughs> that I know of. And, uh, you know, maybe she, like, fibbed or, like, gossiped or whatever, but, like, nothing, like, big, right? But when she got to SCAD, her dorm roommate was an exotic dancer. Uh, so it's like, pastor's kid, exotic dancer, and um, they were a great pair. They were, they were great. Um, so on the face of it, if you compared their relative debt, you have to say that Sarah Jane is more on like the 50 denarii side, and this woman is more on the 500 denarii side, right? Um, but God doesn't calculate like that. We calculate sin like that because we like to look at other people and see how well we're doing, right? Yeah, but God doesn't see that. God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16 in the Old Testament puts it like this. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God cares very much about your behavior. He cares very much about what you do. But it's not the primary way that he sees you or me. It's not the primary way that he deals with you. He cares about your behavior, but that's not the primary way that he deals with you. It's not the, because it's not the primary way that you sin. Uh, we think that sinning is something that we do. We think that we're sinners because we sin, right? What makes you a sinner? Well, because I sin. Um, uh, but that's not how things work. We don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Uh, this weekend was fall conference. It was great. If you guys were there, it was really fun. Um, but the guy was talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll just give a taste of what Jesus says. Uh, Jesus says this, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Uh, Jesus makes the point that murdering someone outwardly and like being angry with them are the same thing, according to God, because they come from the same place. Um, I'm not pointing the finger at you any more than I'm pointing the finger at me. But could you begin to question whether maybe your sin problem, your debt before God, is actually much more substantial than you've thought? Maybe it's not so much about what you do. Maybe the things that you do are just showing what's really going on inside. You know, if you think about what you do as fruit, who you are is the roots, right? And the only thing that comes out in fruit is what's already inside. Um, Even if you haven't behaved as badly as someone else, your debt is more substantial than you think, because everything that we do, no matter how good it looks, is marred by sin. It's like if you wipe down the dishes with an old sour rag, they might look clean, 
But if you smell them, uh, you will find out that, in fact, they are not clean. They don't pass the smell test. Uh, Whenever you or I commit a sin, it's not just a mistake. It's not an aberration. You can't say, that's not who I really am. Uh, If you're not in Jesus, that is who you really are. That's coming from the inside. Uh, If you've never read anything by Flannery O'Connor, shame. Shame. Leave here with shame tonight. No, please don't, don't do it. Um, she was a Christian writer. Uh, she was from Georgia, so that meant she was awesome. And uh, her short stories are great. If they have them in the library, you should check them out. But she has a story called Revelation. And it's a short story about this Christian woman and her husband. And uh, if you're from the South, especially if you're from the Deep South, you'll probably really relate to this. Um, you know, it's like they do everything the Christian way and... They're kind of condescending, you know, like they have a little bit of everything and the whip to use it right, you know. Um, you know, we go to church on Sunday and, and all that. And this woman, her name is Mrs. Turpin. It's a great name. And uh, she has a vision in her backyard. There's some harsh language in this. If you read it, just know that she's using this language. I'm not going to read all of it, but to make a point. Um, but anyway, so, so this woman, she's in her backyard and she has this vision. Just bear with me. At last, she lifted her head. There was only a purple streak in the sky, cutting through a field of crimson and leading like an extension of the highway into the the descending dusk. A visionary light settled in her eyes. She saw the streak as a vast swinging bridge, extending upward from the earth through a field of living fire. And upon it, a vast horde of souls were rumbling toward heaven. And she talks about all the different kind of unclean and awful people that she's always judged. And uh, and she says, and bringing up the end of the procession was a tribe of people whom she recognized at once as those who, like herself and Claude, had always had a little of everything and the God-given wit to use it right. She leaned forward to observe them closer. They were marching behind the others with great dignity, accountable as they had always been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior. They alone were on key. Yet she could see by their shocked and altered faces that even their virtues were being burned away. Even their virtues were being burned away. Uh, What if Jesus didn't die just for your sins, your outward sins? What if he also died, as a friend says it, for your damnable good deeds? Uh, What if it's that bad? (laughs) Uh, What if it's that bad that everything you feel like looks pretty good, Jesus had to take to the cross as well? What if even your virtues will one day have to be burned away? Um, The debt's bigger than we'd like to think. Uh, And it's interesting, you know, it's like, it might sound like counterintuitive, like, wow, this is like, we're talking about sin, like this is heavy, right? Like, if you want these people to come back, or if you want them to know that God loves them, like, why would you talk about sin this much? I've actually heard people say, like, I don't know, RUF talks about sin a lot. Um, why is that? Uh, I think it's this. I think it's biblical. But also I think because in, by showing us how deep our debt is, um, Jesus is, is, is enabling us to really to fall in love with him. Uh, This woman was clearly in love with Jesus because she knew just how much Jesus loved her in spite of everything, how big the debt was that he that he paid and how far he had to come to save her 
from herself. From herself. The bigger the debt, the bigger the love. Uh, if you're here and you are like, you know, I'm a Christian, but like, man, I just really struggle with this. Um, can I say, like, ask God to show you your sin? Um, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but a friend uh, always reminds me of this when I talk to him. He said, we have a great need for a Savior. And it's great. But we have a great Savior for our need. Uh, If you want to appreciate what Jesus has done, if you want to fall in love with Jesus, and you want to live like you love him, uh, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay to deal with your sin. Uh, No matter what you've done, this Jesus will take you. No matter what it is, bring it to him, and he will cleanse you, and he will pay your debt. Has he paid your debt? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we give you thanks um, that Jesus paid it all. Uh, all to him we owe. Our sin had left a crimson stain. Uh, Lord, but you've washed us white as snow. Thank you that you don't discourage us by just showing us our sin and saying, deal with it but that you've come to us, Lord Jesus, to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us in the midst of our conviction uh, to fall at your feet and to fall in love with you anew. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.